Then Jesus told his disciples, If any man would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. On our Reformation tour, as you can imagine, we saw lots of churches. I mean, we were in several churches every single day. And these churches were all so amazing. Beautiful cathedrals, these tall spires. I mean, they were so inspiring. I mean, there's some that I found were extremely impressive and I think touched me a lot. One of them was when we were in Leipzig, we went to go see the the church where Johann Sebastian Bach was the choir director. I mean, I heard he was almost as good as Robert Faisal. (laughs) No, I mean, it was an incredible church to go and to be there. And then we went to Wittenberg and we saw the church, the castle church, where Martin Luther nailed his 95 thesis to the church door. It's also where he's buried. And what an inspiring place. I loved going to York Minster. The church where it has the largest medieval stained glass window in all of Europe. And then, of course, you go to London and you start seeing places like Westminster Abbey. You know, the word minster is an honorific title given to a church if it was started back in the Anglo-Saxon times in England. And this was a church that was an abbey. It was started by the Benedictine monks. And so it was on the west side of town, so it's Westminster Abbey. There's an Eastminster, and that goes by the name of St. Paul's Cathedral. If you have a cathedral, well, that's where a bishop is in residence, his seat. Well, Westminster Abbey and St. Paul's were, oh my goodness, beautiful, huge, gorgeous. I told you how Marsh and I went over to France, and we went to Paris for a couple days, and There on Sunday, and of course, we went to Notre Dame. What a beautiful, beautiful place. Now, the fact that today is our one-year anniversary of the building that we built up at the Edmond campus, and I'm knowing how hard we worked. It took 14 months to build that building, and it cost a lot of money. And I have all that on my mind as I'm looking at all these cathedrals. And the question that kept coming to me was, How much did these things cost? How long did it take to build them? And I did my research and I found that most of them took somewhere between 30 and 50 years. Except Notre Dame, which took 200 years. So I got to thinking about all these people who helped to lay the foundation of these cathedrals And especially this many centuries ago, life expectancy, most of them had to know that as they started building this cathedral, they would never worship there. They would never get to see it finished. That they would work and give their entire lives and maybe their children, their grandchildren, 
for some, it's going to be their great, great, great grandchildren might finally get to worship there. But they built these beautiful cathedrals, these churches, and they did it because they wanted to give themselves to something bigger than themselves. They did something to the glory of God that would outlast them. Nowhere more clear people's feelings than when we learn the story of St. Paul's Cathedral there in London. You know, St. Paul's, I think, is probably my favorite of all the, the churches that we went to. So beautiful. I mean, the dome on St. Paul's Cathedral is 365 feet high. Our tower, the bell tower that we are now getting ready to dedicate again, well, it's 185 feet high. So if you double the height of our bell tower, that's how high St. Paul's Cathedral is. It is amazing, awe-inspiring. Someone has been worshiping at that site for 1,400 years. This is the fourth cathedral to be built there. The last one burned in 1666. It was known as the Great Fire of London. And so much of London was destroyed. 1666. After the Great Fire, they turned to Christopher Wren and asked him to design a new cathedral. And this on the highest spot in London is where he built this incredible cathedral that people have worshipped now for over 300 years. It was finished about 1710. But people were able to worship there today. We were able to worship there today because of what people did in 1940. You remember 1940, we were in World War II. The Germans had started their blitz of London. There were bombings going on almost every day for 100 days. They had started using incendiary bombs, small bombs that would fall and heat up and break into fire and literally just trying to burn London to the ground. It was on December the 29th that this started again. There had been a short lull for Christmas. For a few days, the bombings had stopped on the 25th, 6th, on the 29th. They started again, and they came, and they were so determined to burn everything to the ground. It became known as the second great fire of London. Well, when all this bombing had started, it was Churchill who reached out to his nation and said, we must make St. Paul survive at all cost. And so all these civilians, just people like you and me, volunteered. And at night, they put on their helmets and went up onto the roof of St. Paul's. We're talking 300 feet up in the air to get up on this roof. And when the fires would be burning and the wind would be blowing embers, they would see them and grab them and throw them off of the roof. When the incendiary bombs came down, they would see them and they would throw them off the roof before they could burn and fall through the roof. People were downstairs with sandbags ready to try to put out any bombs that came through. Talk about risking life and limb. In the end, it was on the morning of December the 30th, Herbert Morton, off at a distance, took a photograph and you could see all the smoke rising from London. All you could see was flame and smoke, but then above it all was the dome of St. Paul, unscathed. 
the Germans took the picture and they said, see, we are destroying London. The Brits took the picture and ran an article saying, it shows how we are standing strong. In the midst of all the destruction, we are not defeated. Our faith is keeping us strong. It gave people hope. Why did these people do it? They were willing to sacrifice. They were willing to suffer for something greater than themselves. And so St. Paul survived. And we worship there today. I think that's what Jesus was saying in our scripture lesson this morning. Jesus had gone to Caesarea Philippi. It's in the north part of the country. He was about to start the journey all the way down to Jerusalem where he would be crucified. And he gathered his disciples and got them away from everybody else to try to teach and prepare them for this journey and what was going to happen. And when he had them away, Jesus said to them, If you would come after me, then you must deny yourself. Pick up your cross and follow me. For whoever will try to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will surely find it. Now what Jesus was saying at that time was not really talking about physical life and death. He was talking about their spiritual life, their soul, their emotion. Whoever tries to save their life, that is, whoever lives solely for themselves... If it's all about me and what I want and what makes me happy, if it's all about you, you're going to come to the end and discover you missed it. You lost it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, that is, whoever decides they will not be the center of the universe, that it's not all about me, but rather Christ is the center of our lives, then what we discover is, we have found it. We have found life. Jesus said, you must deny yourself. I may need to sacrifice, give up something. I must sacrifice, deny yourself, pick up your cross. The word cross, think about that for a moment. The symbol, the cross. So many people wear a cross necklace. Identifies you as a Christian. We have crosses in our houses of worship. We have crosses in our homes. When you see a cross, you think about Christ being a Christian. But the cross is not the symbol of suffering and death. Yes, Jesus did suffer and die there. But it's because He did that He says from the cross, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It was on the cross that Jesus helps us to experience God's grace and understand God's love does not turn against us. Father, forgive them. So the cross is a symbol of God's love. When you look at it, you need to think of God's grace and God's love for you. It is a symbol of hope. Jesus died, but God raised him from the dead. God's power is greater than even death. It gives us hope in life and in death. So the cross is a symbol of hope and it's a symbol of God's love. 
So to say to you, pick up your cross, deny yourself, it's like Jesus is saying, will you let God use you to foster love? Will you let God use you to produce hope? If you pick up your cross, then it means you're going to let God use you to bless life. If you try to save your life, you lose it. If you give up being just about yourself and let God use you, you're going to find it. This morning, I want to continue on with this sermon series, Things You Won't Regret. We talked about last week how we all get this opportunity. It's ours right now to live. We get this opportunity, and when you come to the end, you don't want to be full of regret. So what are the things that you can do you won't regret? I'd like to suggest this morning, if you pray a prayer, Oh God, please use me. Please use me to foster love. Oh God, use me to produce hope. Oh God, use me to bless life. It's something you will never regret. That's what I want us to think about this morning. I just want to say two things. First of all, Jesus said, pick up your cross. Pick up your cross. Understand it's a choice you make. I sometimes hear people say, you know, I've got cancer or something bad happened. It's my cross to bear. Well, that's not really a cross. It may be a very difficult thing and it may be hard, but it's not a cross. A cross is something you choose. We say Jesus chose to go to the cross. He didn't have to go to Jerusalem. No, he chose to go to the cross. It's a choice that you and I make. You and I must choose what's going to dictate our life and how we live. And so it's a choice that you make. Oh God, use me to foster love, to produce hope. You know, today is our one-year anniversary of the Edmond campus, and, and it's been so exciting to see what has happened. Uh, it was three and a half years ago that a group of people gathered there in, in Mount so- in, in Sequoia Middle School, and we began this, this church. And now it's, it's three and a half years later. We've moved into the building one year ago. You know, if you took the Edmond campus as a standalone church, it would be in the top 15 largest Methodist churches in the state of Oklahoma. It's been incredibly successful. So many people have come. They've been blessed. They've been joining the church. They've been growing in their faith. They're serving in a community. It's been an exciting thing, but that's happened because there were so many people who were willing to sacrifice and to serve. It was a choice that they made to go into a a middle school and set up chairs every Sunday, set up a stage every Sunday, load a trailer every Sunday. They moved into a building and they they work in the nursery and they teach the children's department and they sing in the choir. It's a choice they make. And by doing that, we have a family of faith, this community that is a part of St. Luke's that is blessing life. I think of what happened down here at our downtown campus so many years ago. 
I mean, on the very first Sunday after the land run, how we got together and formed a church, St. Luke's, and how we used to have a beautiful church down at 8th and Robinson. That's where the old church was, 8th and Robinson. It's been torn down. And it was back in the 40s we dreamed a vision of coming out to the suburbs to 15th and Robinson. And we were going to move all the way out here. Now we could build this bigger church. We'd run out of room. We could build a lovely education facility, which we did in 1950. And we built the sanctuary in 57. It cost a lot of money. And in order to do it, people all were doing what they could to be a part of something bigger than themselves. We had a Sunday school class known as the Couples Sunday School Class. And they wanted to do what they could. And so they decided they would go to the state fair each year. And there they would sell Beverly's Fried Chicken. Beverly Osborne was a member of St. Luke's. And you had Beverly's, uh, you had chicken in the rough for Beverly's Chicken. And he was willing to give us this chicken and people went out there and built a temporary building and then they would have tables and serve cakes and pies and fried chicken and they worked at the sweating over and over day after day and there they would raise all this money and then give it to the church in order to build a building. They did it for years and then as they felt they were getting older, well then they got it passed on to the builder's Sunday school class this is a, a program that went on for 20 years. I believe just about everybody who was in the couple's Sunday school class is now in the kingdom of heaven. I got to know many of them, and they are not forgotten, but they are people who made a choice a choice to sacrifice and to serve because they wanted to be a part of something bigger than themselves in order to bless life. Jesus said, whoever would come after me, you must deny yourself. You must be willing to sacrifice and choose to pick up your cross, to let God use you to foster love and to produce hope. Secondly, Jesus said, pick up your cross. It's a choice you have to make every day. It's not something you just decide once and say, yes, I'm going to pick up my cross and follow Christ. No, this is one of those kind of things you choose to do every day. Every day you pray, oh God, use me today. Use me today to foster love. Use me today to produce hope. Use me today to bless life. It's a choice that you and I have to make over and over every day. What's going to be the value that leads our lives now? Is this what we will do? Just recently, I was very fortunate. I got to go out and have dinner um, with a lady named Karen Cueva. Karen is from New York, and she was here because of our El Sistema program. She's a young lady. I really came to like her very much. It turns out that she works for Carnegie Hall. You know about our El Sistema program, our after-school ministry, where we have taken children, typically inner-city kids, maybe more economically challenged, 
We bring them together and give them free music lessons. We give them an instrument, a brand new instrument for free. And we teach them how to be a part of an orchestra and make beautiful music. We have over 220 kids involved now. They do amazing things. And not only make beautiful music, it makes the grades go up and improves behavior at school. And it just does so much for these children. Well, we've been going with El Sistema for a number of years. It turns out that Carnegie Hall has received a a $15 million grant to be spread over these next 10 years to be given to groups like us around the country and to form a partnership where they work with us year after year after year over these 10 years to try to make sure we have support and learn best practices and help them all to be successful. And so Karen is in charge of this program and how to distribute the money and who to bring in. And and anyway, lots of people, needless to say, applied for this. Only 13 were chosen this year, and we were one of those 13. And so we now are partnered with Carnegie Hall. We're receiving a grant this year and should next year and next year. Our leadership will be going to New York to meet with the leadership of other groups to be learning best practices and what are you doing? What are you doing? And how do we all do it better? They'll be putting together an orchestra from all these different groups around the country and then these kids who put together in this group will perform at Carnegie Hall. We will have some children who five years ago didn't know how to pick up their instrument who will have the opportunity and will perform in Carnegie Hall. Well, Karen was here to meet with our leadership teams to talk about what was going on. And I was visiting with her at dinner and, and I just sensed that this was a neat lady and I, I, I wanted to know more about her. And so I started asking, how did you come to do this? And how did you start playing the violin? And just a few questions like this. And I got to know so much about her. It turned out that her story was that her mother, Maritza, she was from Peru. And in the 1980s, things were going so badly in Peru that she immigrated to the United States, originally settling in New Jersey and then ultimately down in Virginia. She came to the United States and immediately she wanted to bring her mother and father and managed to get them here to the United States. She was a single mom. It wound up being four of them living in a one-bedroom apartment. Her mother did not have a college education. That had not been a possibility. But Maritza was an amazing lady, very driven, a lady of great faith, hardworking, a woman of determination. And she worked hard to keep a roof over their head and provide for this family. Her mother, Karen's grandmother, she ran the house. It's kind of like they all figured out what we're going to do. But Maritza felt like her most important job was her daughter. She said, my job as a mother is to help my child discover the gift that God has given to them and then to have them use it to bless the world. When Karen was one year old, her mother went out and bought her two gifts, a book on manners, it's important to know how to be polite, and a violin. Now Maritza did not know how to play violin, but she did know how to plucked the strings. And so every night she would open the case, get out the violin, and she would pluck on the strings beside her little baby girl every night, year after year. When Karen turned three, 
she went into a period where she just started crying and crying and crying all the time. And her mother knew something was wrong. And so she took her to the pediatrician. He couldn't figure it out. So she started taking her to all these specialists. They couldn't figure it out. So finally she went back to the pediatrician and he said, Maritza, you leave the room. I want to talk to Karen. And when the mother gone, he said, all right, Karen, what are you crying about? And she said, I want to play the violin. Okay. He told her mother. Her mother decided I need to try to find her violin lessons. So she found a community music school. It was two hours away. You had to take a bus and then another bus and then walk about a mile. And she took her daughter all the way there and came in and said, I'd like to get my daughter music lessons. And they said, how old is she? And she said, well, she's now four. And they said, well, we don't take a child until they're six. Yes, she said, but my daughter is special. Boy, how many times do you think they've heard that one? (laughs) My daughter is special. If you would just give her one lesson and try it. And so they did. And when they handed her the violin, the way she held it was so natural. And she listened and practiced. At the end of 30 minutes, they said, we will take her. And so every week, they would make the two-hour trip there and then the two-hour trip back to have a 30-minute lesson. Her mother would have to make decisions at times. Do I get a new pair of shoes? Do I get a music lesson? What will we eat on Friday night? Will we get a music lesson? It turned out that as Karen started learning pieces of music and was getting better, every time she'd learn a piece of music, her mother would then take her to perform at Walter Reed Hospital or at a senior adult living home or at a nursing home to come in and to play. And you have this cute little girl making beautiful music. You can imagine how it made people smile. And she would explain to Karen, do you understand this isn't just about you? This isn't about you performing. This is about you using God's gift in order to inspire and bless life. This is your responsibility. At four years old, her mother would start saving and then each month she would save up enough money that they could go to the symphony at the Kennedy Center and she would see them play. She said she remembered as a little girl at four years old, there was a lady playing the violin. She was tall, thin, had curly hair and she was so tall she didn't sit in a chair. She was sitting on some boxes and She said, I looked at that and I thought, boy, those boxes would be fun to play with. But she thought this lady made beautiful music. She continued to take lessons. The years went by and finally she was 14 years old. And at 14 years old, the Kennedy Center had a program called Youth Fellowship. And the idea was you could come and audition and they'd choose about 10 kids. And then you got free music lessons from someone in the symphony. And you got to come backstage and meet the performers who had come for the symphony. Like if Joshua Bell was there to perform, you got to go backstage and meet Joshua Bell. Well, Karen went and auditioned, and she was chosen. And they gave her the name and the address for the person who would give her lessons, gave her a time. Her mother drove her there. She went and knocked on the door, and when the lady opened the door... 
It was the tall, thin lady with curly hair. And Karen said, that was one of those moments that I really felt God was leading my life. God was opening doors for me. He was guiding me. This lady took such an interest in Karen and said, we can take you to another level. She worked so hard for the next couple of years. And then she auditioned for a boarding school in Massachusetts for nothing but musicians. It only had 300 students, a private school. She was accepted on a full scholarship. She went there for two years. This wasn't from kids now all around Washington. This was with kids now from all over the world. At the end of the two years, she wanted to go to college, but they certainly did not have the money for college. She would need a scholarship. She committed to trying to audition at seven schools, and there were six that she had done. She was needing one more, and all of her friends were auditioning at Juilliard. But she knew she couldn't get into Juilliard. But all of them were auditioning there, so she decided to apply. It's your mother, Grant, they'd gone up there to New York to be able to audition, and a blizzard hit. On the day of her audition, a blizzard had hit, shut down the city. The subway stopped running. They got up to try to get to the audition. There was no way to get there. The subways were down. They called for a taxi. There were no taxis running. They finally asked the front desk, how can we get there? And they said, well, if you walk to the wharf, you could catch a ferry. They're running. And she said, I have a picture of us out on a ferry in this cold and the snow holding my violin heading towards Juilliard. My mother was determined we would make it. She got there and they took her back into a room where you could warm up and kind of start practicing. And she, Karen said she walked back there and listened to these other kids play. And she just turned around and left and came back to her mother and said, I can't do this. These kids are in a different world. I can't do this. And her mother sat her down to talk to her. God has brought you this far. You have to try. You have to try. She went back in there. She watched. Kids would start to play. They'd play maybe a minute and they'd say, thank you very much. We'll be in touch. Maybe they played two minutes. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch. She said before she knew it, it was her turn. She went back in and she began to play. And she said, it seemed like I'd been playing a long time. But they weren't asking me to stop and I kept on playing until finally she had played her entire piece. And they said, thank you very much. We'll be in touch. And it was about a month later they called to say, you're in. And so she went to Juilliard. And when she got there her first year, she had a friend who was starting an El Sistema group. Seven kids. And she went to help teach the children to play. That group now has over a hundred children in their El Sistema group. She was there to help be teaching. She found there was such a love for teaching. She had started teaching at 13, but now she was beginning to discover there was such meaning in doing this. She got her bachelor's at Juilliard and then got a master's at Juilliard. 
And she decided then she wanted to know more about teaching. So she went to Harvard and got a master's at Harvard um, in arts and, and education. And finally, she graduated now with her three degrees. She said, you know, whenever I got a degree, I always gave it to my mother. She would take them because I knew they weren't just my degrees. They were my mother's and my grandmother's. It took us all. Finally, ready for a job. She always thought she'd go play in an orchestra. And then this opportunity came up at Carnegie Hall to be able to try to help people all across the country from the same background as her get this kind of an experience. She said, statistically, when you look at it, you know, I shouldn't be here. I want to help other children be able to experience this too. I asked her, I said, so why have you gone into teaching? And she said, you know, my mother has always told me it's not just about you. Every time you go on stage and perform, you are representing your family. You represent your faith. You represent the Latino people. It's not just about you. God has given you a gift. It is now your responsibility to use that gift to bless life. And so she chooses to do so every day. Jesus said, whoever tries to save their life is going to lose it. But whoever loses their life for my sake, you're going to find it. Deny yourself. It's not just about you. Pick up your cross. Every day, pray. Oh God, please use me. Use me to foster love. Oh God, use me to produce hope. Oh God, use me to bless life. If you pray that prayer, I can assure you, it's something you will never regret. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer. Amen.